Tonight we're going to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So the last time we were in Ecclesiastes, we finished up chapter 2. So we're going to begin a look at chapter 3 tonight. We're going to look at a good portion of the chapter as we look at verses 1 through 15. Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes with this theme in mind. Uh, we, we see this theme, at least throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, living a meaningful life. And tonight's passage really gives us a look at life from a big picture point of view as we see the seasons of life that we experience. And really this idea that, that comes up time and again here in this chapter is the idea of time. And so um, tonight we're going to look at the sands of time that come across here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Let, let's consider these verses together. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has a worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that the people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. The days are long, but the years are short. I don't know who said that originally, and I don't know who it is that told me that the first time, uh, but I do know it is a phrase I have not only repeated, but is one I have seen lived out in our family's lives time and again. And particularly, that phrase is often used when you speak of someone who's raising children. The days are long and the years are short. But I was reminded of that phrase again yesterday morning when we awoke at our home here in Beaverton to a fresh two inches of snow covering the ground. Now I know that to some of you the words a fresh two inches of snow is either a nightmare or nothing to get excited about. But with four children in our home ages eight and under, that is absolutely the greatest thing you can imagine. And so as soon as it was light enough, breakfasts were scarfed down Teeth were brushed in record time, snow gear was donned, and out the door went the excited giddy crew. I, for one, had to go to work. But after scraping off the cars and starting the truck so it would be nice and toasty when I, when I finally got in it, I didn't want to miss the opportunity with my children. And so 
And besides, I mean, we have this new hill at our house that needed some sledding to, to be done on it. So up and down the hill, Joanna, Alyssa, and I went. Caleb and Chloe rolled a snowman. It was a wonderful time. And one day, it's stories like this that I hope to reflect on and remember the joy of the moment. Because as time marches on, one day I won't have any little ones banging the door down to get to the snow. There won't be any little hands reaching up for help with mittens and gloves. And there won't be any little voices crying out again when the sled hits the bottom of the hill. And there won't be any little footprints in the yard full of snow. This is because of the inevitability of time. Try as we might, we can't stop the advance of time. Days come and go, weeks fly by, months tick off, and years rack up. And before you know it, the times you thought end are over. The things you thought you would enjoy forever are gone. And suddenly, you're the one who's been there and done that. And people are asking you questions on your experiences as they take on those experiences for the first time. As Solomon continues to teach us how to find meaning in life, he turns now to the lesson of time. Time is the master of us all. Time is something that is out of our control. And the realities of time point us to the necessity for trust in our eternal God. What you see here is because time is outside of my control, I must trust the eternal God who is sovereign over all things. This is a picture, again, that Solomon gives that is so relatable to us all. Because we live in this, uh, under the, the, the rule of time in our lives. Some of us have spent a lot of time on this earth. Some of us have spent not as much time on this earth. But all of us understand what time is and what time does, even though we don't understand all the ramifications of that. We have some here in this room who are much younger. They don't understand the ramifications of time yet in their lives, but they're learning that, and they will learn that. And time's experiences, shared experiences in our lives, drive us again back to this whole theme of Solomon's uh, book here. that There is meaning in life found in God and God alone. Because time, the times of life bring us back to a cycle, yet again, that goes round and round and never seems to end. And so let's look at what Solomon says here in this chapter, the first part of this chapter tonight. And I want to direct your attention first to those first eight verses, which is yet again a poem. It's, it's a, the, the technical term for what this is, is a merism, okay, M-E-R-I-S-M. And the idea of a mirrorism is it shows you the extent of something, the, 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 uh, the big picture, the extremes. And that's exactly what Solomon does here in these first eight verses as he shows us the times of life. In the first verse, he assures us that there are these times we experience. He says, every, for everything there is a season, a time for every matter under, under heaven. We are guaranteed this in this life. Things will come into our lives At their appointed time. You and I cannot escape the realities of the experiences of life. There are just certain things we cannot control in life. And there are certain things we can control. There are ways we can and we should prepare for life's inevitabilities. But there are things that that when they happen, just they're out of our control. 
we're also guaranteed that time, even when we experience those things, is going to continue to move on, bringing with it certain inevitable realities and experiences yet again. What's the old saying? Time waits for no man. And as the seasons of our lives change, so do our experiences. These cyclical experiences listed here in verses 1 through 8, really verses 2 through 8, are all part of what we may call the human experience. And Solomon says that this all takes place not under the sun, but under heaven. Now, again, he's giving that realm of of we experience this under earth. But we also see the eternal perspective he's given as we continue on, as we'll continue on in verse 15, as he gives us that perspective that God has and that we need to have regarding the Lord. Life moves from one thing to the next, whether we want it to or not. And as we see the back and forth shared experiences, we can relate. So in verses 2 through 8, Solomon gives us all of these shared experiences that we have over time. In this list, from, verses two, all, from verse 2 all the way down to verse 8, there are 14 pairs of opposites showing us the variances of time in life. They do a good job of fully encompassing everything you and I can experience on this earth. Again, some of these things we feel like we can control part of, and and some of them we just can't. And the ones that we can control, we can't always control all the elements surrounding or leading us into them. And I want you to, to notice, Solomon doesn't offer any commentary on these events. He doesn't give us admonition about how we go about these events. You know, like the book of Proverbs may talk about some of these sorts of things and admonish us on how we're to live. Solomon doesn't do that here. He's just simply giving this as a a perspective. Here's what you're going to experience in life because that's the way time and life works. He's not telling us what is right or what is wrong in life's experiences. It's a reminder that life comes with extremes. Really, it's a reminder that at the end of it all, There's no profit for a life that's simply lived for this life alone. He'll come to that conclusion here in a few minutes. So let's talk briefly then about what does he talk about in these 14 pairs of opposites. Well, he says, first of all, there is a time to be born and there's a time to die. Man enters this world just as surely as one day he will exit this world. And we have no say in our entrance and we have have little to no say on our exit. Some people say, well, I mean, I, I'm controlling a lot of things about when I die, this will happen and that will happen. You can set up some things for your life in that way. And you may think, I'll live to this age, but you could drive home tonight, tomorrow, this week, and be killed in a car accident on the way home. Right? We have no say over that kind of thing. God is the one who's in control, we'll see. He continues on with this kind of the same idea of birth And death, he says there's a time to plant, there's a time to pluck up or to uproot what we've planted. It talks about a field. And and, and it talks about, you know, there's a time to plant those seeds and there's a time to pull those plants back up. And it's interesting that even the time to do so, we think, well, I mean, we know when that's supposed to happen. We're kind of, we're not really in control of that, are we? That's even determined by the seasons and the weather. And even then, there's some variation. You talk to any farmer, they don't always plant the same day every year. They plant about the same time, but never on the same day, and they harvest at different times. 
We have learned what these things, these, the things we need to watch for this, but those things vary and are ever out of control. Solomon continues, again, kind of with this idea of, of death and life. He says there's a time to kill and a time to heal. It's an interesting statement. We think of things like God's word's standard that was set forth on capital punishment for certain sins. There are appropriate times to take a life, perhaps in punishment for sin or in self-defense. But just as such, there are those times, there are times to heal people, to mend their wounds and bring them back even from the brink of death. Solomon says there's a time to break down buildings and a time to rebuild. And we're reminded that buildings and structures hopefully serve their purposes and their, and their, uh, their uses well. But nothing lasts forever. You know, we meet tonight in a church building that was built some 40 years ago. And it's a wonderful building. It serves its purpose. But one day it's going to reach the end of its life. One day it's, it's not going to stay dry or warm or whatever it may be. And it may, it'll be, have to be torn down and a new place will have to be built. Because eventually it's time to take down what is old and construct what is new. And then Solomon gets into a couple of pairs here in verse 4 that are much the same. There is a time to weep in life. There are things in life that make us sad. There are experiences we wish to never repeat. But there are also times, he says, to laugh. There are moments of happiness and joy sprinkled throughout our days. There are times of life that are full of life and vibrancy. Solomon calls upon us, even when he says there are times to laugh, to enjoy those times, to relish the mirth and the warmth of those times. There are times to mourn in life. Some of the things we have just mentioned, like a time to die, those bring mourning. There are times of sadness and sorrow. There are times of brokenness and loss. There are times that cause us to pine for the days gone by. But just as sure as that, Solomon says there are times to dance. There are good things we experience that cause a reaction within us that cannot be contained. We want to shout joy from the rooftops. We find ourselves in lives fueled by such fantastic experiences. You know, we live in a world full of of weddings and funerals. And perhaps those two human experiences encapsulate this verse the best, right? We, we, We go to weddings and we're so excited and we love that. And we go to funerals and those aren't always the greatest of experiences. Because they represent opposite ends of the spectrum. Then Solomon gets to verse 5. And he says there's a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. This is an interesting statement. And there are varied opinions on what this means. uh, but But the pervading theory or, 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 or interpretation seems to be that this is a reference to an invading army casting stones into enemies' fields to make them unproductive. This is something that was done, especially in Solomon's day. You would, you would go in, you would, you would raid a, a country or a city or whatever, and, and again, much of these, many of these countries, they have a very agricultural-based society, as, as many of them needed to do, and so you would take stones and you would cast them out into the fields to make those fields unproductive. Solomon says there's a time to cast these stones out, and there's a time then to gather stones back together, and and that mirrors the same picture, that that if you're going out to plant in a field, you need to gather those stones out of the field. We've seen that here. You know, you drive down the road, and on the sides of these fields, you see these big piles of rocks, because you can't plant 
and expect crops to grow in an effective manner if there's, no, if there's a bunch of rocks in the field. Each action then serves its own purpose. Solomon continues, there are times to embrace others. There are times to refrain from such. Our affections towards others, even our spouses, can and should be appropriately shown. But there are times when the better part of wisdom and obedience is to turn away from such feelings and affections. Solomon says, There's a time to seek and there's a time to lose. There's a time to to seek more. There are times in our lives when we need more things. Perhaps a life event or an economic development causes us to seek out more things in our lives. Other times, it's time to lose some of what we have. I love, um, I sent this uh, this week, I sent a picture of one of these commentaries Warren Wiersbe wrote and said that this verse, a time to, to seek and a time to lose, is God's justification for having garage sales. That sometimes there are times, my mom loves to go to garage sales, so I sent her to that this week, that there are times we got to get rid of some things in our lives. You know, some of us, it feels like it's just all the time we got to get rid of things, right? Solomon says there's a time to keep what we have, and just as surely there are times to throw things out, a time to keep, a time to cast away. Again, it's the balance of the extremes of life. And then he gets down to verse 7, and he says there is a time to tear and a time to sow. This seems to be a reference to the, to the common practice in Solomon's day. When one was in mourning, he would tear his garments but there is a time that just as sure as there's a time to do that and to mourn, there's a time to repair those things again when the mourning comes to an end. Solomon says there is a time to keep silence and a time to speak. There are times when quietly holding your tongue and your peace is the thing to do. Not everything is appropriate to say every time. But there are also times to speak. The one who thinks it is always time to speak or always time to sit in silence is an immature thinker. There's a right time to speak and a right time to not speak. These have their proper places. Solomon says there is a time to love and a time to hate. There are many people and things in this world that deserve our affection. But there are also things that we are to hate. You understand that hatred is an emotion that's created by God, and if it's used rightly, it can please God. How do you know that? Well, the scriptures tell us that God hates sin. There is a place for that in our lives, as long as it's used in a godly way. And then Solomon concludes this with something that, that feels connected here. There's a time for war, and there's a time for peace. There when standing up for what is right is right, even if it leads to conflict. Other times there is no need for conflict, but rather we should be all in on peace. And largely, we don't pick these times of war and peace in our world or country, do we not? Many times these things come into our lives and we're thrust into them. But these are all shared experiences that we as humans face. You've probably experienced many, if not all, of these feelings and happenings in your life. And again, as you think about them, think about the circumstances that surround you experiencing these. Sometimes you felt like, I controlled those experiences and I got to that point. And other times, it just kind of, it happened, right? 
more times than we care to admit, what we're doing is we're responding in real time. You know, this is happening, and this is what's going on, and you find yourself living in this, what Solomon talks about, the human experience, because we can only take it one day at a time. Sometimes, we, a lot of times, we only take it one moment at a time. And if this life is all there is, right, if, if the experience under heaven, or as Solomon says in other spots of, of Ecclesiastes, under the sun, is, is everything you have, then this feels like the merry-go-round that never stops, Right? It just goes round and round and round. You just one thing and off another, and it's like a roller coaster or a ping pong game. It's up and down and all around and back and forth. The negative experiences seem to come in waves, forever overshadowing the good times. And then Solomon here doesn't call these experiences hevel, vanity, but you can. But what you can feel is the monotony again that Solomon is communicating here. If all we can do is react to things that drop into the times of our lives, we'll become exhausted and search for meaning. And this search of meaning in the times we can't control should lead us to the Lord of all things, even time itself. And that's what Solomon shows us in verses 9 through 15. He shows us the Lord of time. First of all, there's a frustration that comes with time in verses 9 and 10. He says, what gain has the worker from, all, from his toil. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. So as, as Solomon turns our attention to the eternal perspective from our temporal experiences, we see first his frustration with all of these things yet again. If time is outside of our control, and oftentimes it is, the question is, what is the gain? What is the profit? There's that, that, that word again that Solomon uses many times. What's the gain, the profit from all of this work if it's outside of our control? What's left over for us to use just when you seem to get ahead and just when you seem to experience good things? There are negative experiences. There are opposites that follow. Just when things, one thing comes together in an area of your life, another one falls apart. Round and round you go, working but never seeming able to get ahead. Solomon, you know, he, he says here, I mean, this is a rhetorical question. What gain does a worker have from his toil? The, the answer to such a rhetorical question is nothing. If this life is all there is. But Solomon sees this as, as no accident, Someone has to be in charge of it all. Someone has to set the boundaries and the rules for this experience of life. Someone has to be sovereign. And that sovereign is God. He says in verse 10, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He says, here's who's in charge. God has set up the seasons of life. God controls the ebbs and the flows. He's the one who's in charge. And in this fallen world, we cannot find satisfaction, fulfillment, peace, or profit in the mere day-to-day pursuits. Instead, there is a God to whom we are responsible. And it's interesting Right, that, that a lot of the things that Solomon talks about in this poem that have opposites, a lot of those, there are pieces of them that are only here because of sin. Right? 
There's a time to be born and there's a time to die. Well, where, where does death come from? It comes from sin, right? There's a time to, to rejoice and to laugh. There's a time to mourn. Well, where does mourning come from? It comes from sin, right? There's a time for war and there's a time for peace. Well, where does war come from? It comes from sin. So this is the way that God has set it up. That because of sin, there's no fulfillment here. Round and round we go again. And so we are responsible to God. We, his creation, experience this at his command and in his purposes. This is how life works. Therefore, nothing we experience happens by accident or without purpose. And that's a comforting truth. That nothing we experience happens by accident or without purpose. Solomon says God's the one who's in charge. He's given it to us to experience. To a follower of God, God's in control. And we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. We'll talk more about that. The one who doesn't know God, God's still in control, by the way. Right? And he's, he's using the argument of time to say, look, you're not in control of this. Somebody else is, and you need to pay attention. And so Solomon now in verses 11 through 13 unfolds God's timely purposes in all of these things. He says here in verse 11, he, that is God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Everything we experience, Solomon says, is beautiful Another way to translate that Hebrew word, I think probably is a little bit better here, is appropriate in its time. Everything is appropriate in its time. We can't control those times. God has made everything appropriate in its time. But we can see that everything fits the time God has appointed it to fit. In God, all things are beautiful and appropriate when he makes them to be. And just as God has appointed all things then, he has placed it in our hearts to see the eternal significance of life's choices. So, so God has made everything appropriate in his time. And then, so there's a couple of phrases in this verse that are all connected together. And then he has put eternity in man's heart to see the eternal purposes of that. See, God has created us as eternal beings. I said this this morning. Everyone will live somewhere forever. And what we experience on this earth is but for a time. And it causes us to long for something better. Do the things that you experience in life cause you to want something better in life? Or outside of life? Nothing, though, here on this earth seems to satisfy. You know, we, we can't discover eternal answers on our own. And that is because, though we are eternal beings... We are not infinite beings. There's difference, right? We live for eternity, but we're, we're very finite still. And that's what Solomon talks about as, as we connect it here with this third point. He, he, he has put eternity into, a man's, into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Our understanding, power, and actions are limited. God has set boundaries on our understanding and our abilities. We cannot discover God's purposes and plans in our own strength. And that's extremely frustrating for mankind. 
Right? If you're looking for answers outside of God and you think, well, I'm just going to figure it out, you're going to run into a brick wall. You're just going to hit your head against that wall time after time after time. Man longs for answers. He, he wants to get to the bottom of his experiences. He wants purpose and meaning and profit. He wants victory over the cycle. He wants to enter life after death in confidence, knowing that on the other side there's purpose and there's meaning. Ultimately, what does he want? He wants to be his own God, but he cannot be. He wants to be in charge, but he isn't. He wants to understand everything about God, but he can't. And these, this verse here reminds me of two other verses in the scripture. The first one is in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 35. And this is um, having to do with um, Belteshazzar. And, uh, and I'm sorry, not Belteshazzar. Woo, that was a Bible name that has no meaning on this. Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, his rejection of God and how God is the one who is in control. And this is what it said. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? The question is this. Who among the sons of man holds God accountable? And the answer is, no one. We are the creation. He is the creator. We are finite. He is infinite. We have a beginning and an end here on earth, though we live for eternity. He has no beginning and no end. So there's going to come a point in which we just can't understand. We're not going to be able to be in control. Paul wrote in Romans eleven thirty three, 33, all the depth and the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. You cannot understand all of who God is. And that is what makes God God. And it's a wonderful thing. We have to come face to face with that truth. That means we don't, it doesn't mean we, we give up on wanting to know God more. It doesn't mean we give up on trusting God. It means we go all in on trusting God. Say, God, I don't understand this, but I'm going to trust you. God, I'm, I'm not in control, and I'm going to trust you. So, as Solomon says, hey, you know, God's, God, God's the one who sets everything up. God's put eternity in our hearts, but we're limited. So what do we do? Well, here's the answer. Solomon says, enjoy the life you have. He says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. A couple of different ways we want to look at this. Number one, again, remember, there, there is a constant theme in the book of Ecclesiastes of, of Hevel, vanity of life under the sun. If this life is all there is, this is how you should approach life. Okay? And so let's look at it from that side. If, if this life is all there is, there's nothing better for you to do than to just live your life as it comes. You eat, you drink, take pleasure in the work you're doing, because still, that's God's gift to you. 
in a way, there's a lot of resignation in this statement. You can't control it. You can't hold God accountable because you are a finite being. You're, you're not going to find those answers, so just enjoy it. If this life is all you got and you can't figure it out, just live it. Don't waste time trying to unravel the mysteries of God with your personal puny strength. Instead, live the times and seasons of your life looking for happiness in the work that God has laid out for you. A man's frustrating existence in a world where he is ultimately reacting is contrasted with the Lord of time. Okay, so that's, that's one side of it, right? Now, the other side of it is there's also a message of, of hope here, right? That if you do know God and you do have a relationship with him, and of course, now we look back on this, you know, some almost 3,000 years later, Christ having come and paid the price of sin, so through him we have a relationship with God. If you do know him, live your life in him. Enjoy it. Trust him. And live for the kingdom. And we're going to talk, again, we'll talk more about why we can do that in just a second as Solomon wraps this passage up. But here's the, re- here's the thing. God is in control. So if we know him, we can have true joy in the temporal seasons of life. Because here's the thing. Whether you're a Christian or not, you're still, you're still going to be subject to a lot of things in your life that are out of your control. I mean, I'm a Christian. I follow God. And, and I still have a lot of these things that happen in my life. There's a time to weep and a time to rejoice, right? There's, I still have bad things that happen to me in my life. The difference is, I know the God who's sovereign over them. We have a great opportunity to have a relationship with God who controls the seasons of life and appoints these seasons to come upon us. And he can do this because he is the master of time. And and as we wrap up verses 14 and 15, we see God's mastery over time. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever... Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so the people that fear, so that people fear before Him. That which is already has been; that which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. So Solomon's just given you man's perspective, right? He he experiences it as God sets up these things. He has eternity in his heart, but ultimately it's out of his control, right? We can't understand God, and, and, and he is far above us. And so we, in God, take things as they come. And now Solomon presents a whole different side. This is God's side. Contrary to man's experience, what God does is eternally permanent. His work is perfect. Solomon says, whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it. It's perfect. No one can add to it. His work is secure. No one can take away from it. The things we do are temporal. Solomon's already shown us in the first couple chapters, things we do on earth earth don't last. Instead, they pass away just like us. But God does great and eternal works. Why? Because God is great and eternal. And why has God done these things? Well, he says at the end of verse 15, 14, why he has done it. God has done it so that the people fear before him. He has done these things so that we, his creation, may see them and and subsequently fear him. 
God controls that which we have no hope of controlling. And that should awe us before God. That should fill us with reverence and holy fear. Please understand, it is not wrong. In fact, it is all right. I mean, like, not all right, but all, A-L-L, right. There's everything right about having a righteous fear above of God. The Bible tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He is not like us. He is far above us. He is in control. And we do not measure up to his standard. And if we come to God in salvation and subsequently grow in him, that fear of, of being afraid of God should develop and grow into a healthy respect and reverence for our great creator, redeemer, and king. His power in regard to time, then, is unfathomable. That's what Solomon communicates here in verse 15. He says, that which is already has been. What does he mean? The things that are occurring right now have already happened from the perspective of God. Then he says, the things that will come, will come to pass, that which is to be already what? Has been. Well, what does that mean? That means the things that are in the future, the things that are going to happen to God, they've already happened. And then he says, God seeks out what has been driven away. The, what has taken place in the past, God knows and he brings it back in his infinite knowledge. So what's the takeaway here? Very simply put, God exists outside of time. He is the master of time. Again, understand, God set up time for our benefit. He doesn't exist. I mean, he he relates and communicates to us within within the construct of time But God isn't limited by our construct of time. Which has, by the way, a lot of bearing on, I'm going to try not to get off in the weeds, okay? But it has a lot of bearing on things like your soteriology, your salvation. People say, well, well, how could someone who who put faith in God be saved because Jesus hadn't died? Because God exists outside of time and the death of Christ was already effective. And if our little brains go, that's okay, all right? Because from God's perspective, the sacrifice of Christ and something like soteriology has already happened at the time Abraham placed his faith in Christ, in God. Anyway, that's another conversation for another day. It's enough to understand that God is the master of time. We, who are such frail, infinite creatures, exists in a linear timeline, experiencing our daily lives one moment at a time. Now, tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up, Lord willing, right? And you're going to go about your life. How many of you have somewhere to be tomorrow morning? Okay? And you're going to get in your car, and you're going to drive down the road, and maybe, just maybe, you're going to get about halfway, three-quarters of where you need to be, and you're going to get a flat tire. I'm not wishing that on anybody, okay? But how many of you, when you got a flat tire, you planned for that? No, you, you take it one moment at a time, right? And those always seem to happen at very inconvenient times, 
I don't want anybody that went out and said, I'm going to slash my tire today, you know, and then, you know, down the road you go. We take life very linear, 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 linearly. <laughs> we take it one moment at a time. <laughs> and so when that happens, we go, oh, no, right? What are we going to do? We're going to get out. We're going to change the tire. We're going to text our boss. We're going to call whoever. Say, look, I'm going to be late today. This happened. God doesn't, that doesn't happen. God knew from the beginning of time. You were driving down the road on Monday morning. You were going to flat tire. And he appointed it for that time to happen because he's sovereign. God in his infinite knowledge, wisdom, and power knows the end from the beginning. He knows why something happens in our life, the way it happens, in the way it does, and the timing that happens. So therefore, God is our hope and our comfort for whatever we experience. I don't know about you. Okay, we think about these kind of things like, man, that, that really hurts my brain, right? Those two little brain cells rubbing together, it's really, really, you know, stretching them. I just can't, I can't wrap my mind around God. That's the kind of God I want to serve. Who is so vastly infinite and superior that I can trust him no matter what happens. Our personal experiences in the times of life then should drive us to the Lord. If they do not, we live caught in the cycles. And you've experienced this. You're in the middle of, again, let's go back to the flat tire. And if you're just living in the moment, and you have not, no concept of, of living for the things of the Lord and that God is in control, how do you respond in that moment? We're very frustrated, right, and angry. And, what, you know, what, why, did I, why did this happen to me? And I got somewhere to be, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da, right? And, again, as Christians, we're going to have those struggles in our lives. We're going to react those ways. We, we lose content. But I, what is a right and biblical perspective? Lord, I, I'm frustrated. <laughs> and this feels very inconvenient. I don't know why this is happening, but I, I'm going to trust you that you're in control here. Now, that's, that preaches easy and lives hard, right? If God is the Lord of time, and he is... He is worthy of and do our trust and service. So we can rest assured that the things that are happening in our lives then are under the control of our sovereign God. He uses all things for our good and his glory. In him, we have confidence that the seasons of life will come and go, and they will come and go for a bigger purpose, to make us like Christ. In 1865, a hymn writer by the name of Lina Sandell penned the words of the hymn known as Day by Day. A few years earlier, at the age of 26, while on a ferry boat with her father, the ship lurched and her father was thrown overboard and drowned before her very eyes. This tragic event, though Lina had been a, a hymn writer before this, changed the way Lina wrote hymns. And, and that event inspired the words that we sing today. And I want to read you, I, I, just, I, I thought of this hymn yesterday um, as, I, as I thought about this passage. I want to read you the, the first stanza. 
Day by day and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I've no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. What does that hymn communicate? Well, it communicates a lot about trials in life, but notice again, there's acknowledgement that God's in control. We as finite people must trust our infinite God who rules everything, including time itself. This is why we once again remember Solomon's closing admonition that he's going to make at the end of Ecclesiastes. Fear God and keep his commandments. These are the goads and the nails. Control. He is worthy. The times of life are serve the king of all time. Because time is outside of my control, I must trust the eternal God who is sovereign over all things. Time is a precious commodity, and it is an eternal reminder of God's control over time and the seasons of life. Many things about time and those seasons of life are outside of our control. However, we have the hope of a relationship with God who rules all things. And while this passage provides yet another sobering reminder for those who would try to live life for the here and now alone, it is a message for those who know God. There is great joy in the things of this life when we have a relationship with God. Who I may not be in control of all the circumstances of my life or know what the outcomes will be, but I know God, and he is the one who is in control and who knows, and therefore I can follow him and trust him in all things. You and I can't help but take life as it comes. But as we do, let us trust the Lord who ordains and orders these things, sustaining us through them all. His goodness and his mercy are seen each day we live as he walks with us through whatever we face. And we have a tendency to react to the moments of life with fear and anxiety and distress and anger, confusion and more. But in God, we can live joyfully through our days with confidence in him and his control. Lord, thank you for your word. And it's power to change our lives. Thank you for this wonderful reminder tonight that though we have so many things in our lives that are outside of our control, even the appointment of certain times of our lives, you are ever in control and ever worthy of our fear and trust. And Lord, we ask that tonight... You would help us to trust you with the ins and outs and details of our everyday lives. Lord, this week we're going to walk out of here and some are going to go through some hard experiences this week. It's just the nature of what happens. We live in a broken, fallen world. We are broken, sinful beings. And even as Christians, we get into sin and we suffer the consequences of sin. And Lord, again, that is an appointed thing that you have appointed consequences for the sins of our lives. 
And Lord, we pray that as we experience the brokenness of a fallen world this week, you would point us to your sovereign power over all things. By the same token, Lord, there are many in this room who are going to experience good things as well this week. We're going to find things that that give us joy. We're going to experience the joys of a relationship with you and the simple things of life. And Lord, as we do, remind us again that those come from our good and sovereign God. And ultimately, Lord, help us to trust you in them. Help the times of life to point us to the Lord of all time and the sovereign ruler of all times. We ask that you would give us an eternal perspective as we live day to day. Be with us now as we go into the week before us. May we live as lights for the gospel. May we live for the glory of the kingdom. And we ask that you would bring us back again this week to worship you and serve you in this place. In your name we pray. Amen.